listening to Out of the Box with Rosie Tran. Out of the Box is sponsored by HugMeTees.com. Spread love, give a hug, HugMeTees.com. Guys, I just want to thank all of you for the positive emails that I've been receiving. And I just want to reiterate that I love positive emails, but what I would love even more is if you guys went on iTunes.com, Out of the Box podcast, and left those as positive comments. Those help out the podcast so much more than sending me an email. And as well with the Twitter ads, guys, tweeting at me and say, Rosie, I would love for you to come to St. Louis is awesome, but it doesn't help me to come to St. Louis. So if you would tweet at me and the local comedy club, whether it's the Funny Bone or Laughs or whatever's in your neighborhood, then that would help bring me to your city even more than tweeting directly at me. So I appreciate that. Guys, we're now on SoundCloud and Stitcher. Go on soundcloud.com slash out of the box podcast and click on the follow button. We don't have that many followers on SoundCloud and it looks really, really sad. So that would help us out so much. And as always, I am excited today because I have an amazing guest. (laughs) He is a comedian, world traveler, host, travel host, and host of the Travel Tales podcast, Mike Siegel. Mike, how are you? Good to be here. I feel great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I like your theme song, by the way. What, who's, who's, uh, what band is that? That is my husband's band, which is now defunct, and Aww. they didn't even have a name. <laughs> okay. Maybe that was part of the problem. Maybe a name helps in the booking of that. It was him and his um, coworker, and they decided to start a band. And so I said, well, you guys have to do the theme song for Out of the Box podcast. They did it, and then they promptly, his coworker ended up moving to a different company, Uh, My husband works in the video game industry, another video game company, and then they just didn't have time to see each other and the band fizzled away. So you kind of broke up the band is what you're saying. I'm the Yoko Yoko Ono Mm -hmm. of unnamed band. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. I see what's happening here. This is is nice that I got to meet your dogs. You did. And I feel so bad because you're you're had to pump drugs just to come over. Yeah, no, I just uh, I'm all clearing it up. And by the way, thank you tweakers out there for ruining buying cold medicine or is it hard to buy claritin oh god i gotta show my id now you gotta you know anything anything with that it was pseudoephedrine or something is that for making meth yeah yeah yeah. okay that's why you gotta show your your you gotta they lock it behind uh you know they don't have it on the shelf anymore you gotta go to the pharmacist you totally you gotta show your id yeah no (laughs) i wore a suit here for you i know i was gonna say just so you guys know mike is in a full suit no not well i left the jacket and tie in the in the car but i have to go to audition after this that's why and i hope you get it Thank you. Yes. I had the craziest, uh, okay, this is a Hollywood, total Hollywood story, but I was, uh, I had a Three Musketeers audition yesterday. For the candy bar? For the candy bar. I don't want to brag. <laughs> That's where it's at now, folks. That's where I'm at in this business. But no, I've, I, like over the years, I've done commercial stuff and it's a nice way to pay the bills if it happens. So this was like, so I get the break. Did you go out on commercial auditions? I do. I okay. Do. So I usually know. go out for very stereotypical stuff though. I, I, what is your what is your stereotype that they that they typecast you as? Well, now I'm starting to get well. This thing I'm the reason I'm wearing a suit for is like in a uh, progressive uh, insurance commercial. Uh-huh. So it's, they're doing like a takeoff on the Bachelorette. Okay. Okay. So I'm like the host of the Bachelorette, <laughs> okay. that kind of thing, which is perfect. But they actually ask for hosts, which is what I do mostly. So I was like, okay, great. So this is a callback today. So it's very exciting. But yesterday they they sent out something in the audition, the call sheet. And it said, uh, there's three musketeers. You have to do accents. They wanted like a French accent. Okay. Was, okay. Comedy guys. Yeah, yeah. They wanted <laughs> comedy guys. And then the note from the casting director said, uh, if you can wear something musketeerish, <laughs> would love it! Exclamation <laughs> point. And I'm like, oh, no. Did what any is- guys show up in a musketeerish? Okay. Yeah, you got to tell all, me. I'm thinking like, okay, some jackass actor is going to come in in full costume. With a right? feathered hat. Totally, right? <laughs> so I go there and there's like, 15 guys there and thankfully nobody was musketeered uh, out nobody but you know we had a couple puffy shirts you know like the seinfeld puffy shirt yeah yeah, yeah. kind of thing and uh it was mostly about facial hair you know it was like a lot of <laughs> groomed beards and goatees and that kind of thing so i'm thinking okay uh, this is a, and i just wore like you know jeans and t-shirt or something what am i gonna that's do? not musketeery mike I, I, don't, I don't have any do you have anything musketeer what would you wear i, do, I don't get those auditions I'm not gonna, i i get I'm in a weird age because I'm not old enough to be young mom yet, but I'm not young enough to be college student. You can totally play college student. It's weird. So when I go to the auditions, it's I'm like in the in between, but I You look I, 18. Oh, Mike, Mike, move in with me. <laughs> not the dogs can't do it. Um that's right. You can't. I, there's not I'm enough clarity in the world. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> and I'm married. Um but I get 
college student, like brainy, nerdy college student. A lot of Asian-y type things. <laughs> Computer programmer, uh, violinist. I what do. Else? I get a lot of Asian-y things. And then um, I get a lot of auditions. Do you speak another language? And, and they usually... You know, I think I've gotten, gone for a couple things where it says Chinese only, and then my agent will say, well, she doesn't speak Chinese, and they're like, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> right. Not that we tell her. She can just say anything. Just, just say, say anything. anything. Nobody knows if it's Chinese or not. <laughs> and, so, Tran, are you uh, Vietnamese? I'm Vietnamese. Okay. Yeah, but I, I have gone out for that. So, I think once I age a little, which is weird, you would think in Hollywood you want to be young, then I will be the able to go for young mom. Young mom stuff, yeah. And that's good. That's supposedly where the money is because like half the commercials are like Swiffer commercials and mop commercials and all this stuff. So fingers crossed that I get some gray hairs or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll still get weird. You know, I'll get like uh, young dad stuff. But now I'm getting, as I get older, I'll, I'll go in <laughs> and I don't have any kids and, you know, I've never had kids, but they, uh, it still v- feels very weird when I go in and I went on one. It was like a serial thing. I, and then I go in there, and I'm, I have this teenage daughter. They have these fake kids for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'll read with these kids. And I'm like, this just... I know it's physically possible for me to have a kid, like, <laughs> about to go to college, but it still feels really weird. It feels... Little kids is one thing, but, you know... Like a college you, kid? Yeah. It's just... I, it's like, I'm not ready for that. I know... I know I'm I, not ready for acting like I have a college yeah, I know. kid. <laughs> it just feels... Makes me feel so old. You oh know, it really gosh. just makes me feel old. Well, but anyway... Oh, so anyway, just to finish the Three Musketeers thing. Yeah, so I you get didn't there, finish. We got sidetracked. And I do my thing, and then... Uh, and then I leave. So there's all these guys there, and, and uh, you know, facial hair, some some flowery shirts or whatever. And I was like, okay, at least my faith in humanity is restored. There wasn't some guy in full costume. I walk out of the building. I get to the sidewalk. There was and a guy here in full around the corner, <laughs> full on. I mean, perfect. I mean, it was a musketeer guy. Right down to his facial hair. He had like a little he, goatee with the pointy. Yeah. The everything, pointy anonymous. Everything. The feather and the hat. The whole deal. And I was like, oh, no. This town. I swear to God. And I was just like, I hope he didn't rent it. You know? <laughs> you do this long enough. You don't spend a dime on a first call of an audition. Or you any audition. What? You know what bugs me? Because I always hear the story. You know, I, I've been to casting workshops and other things. And casting directors say, you don't need to go all out. You know, you just need to have the the vibe of whatever. Yeah. Right? But then sometimes you'll hear the story. Oh, this person got the job because they went all out. It's yeah. like, what? <laughs> it's contradictory information. Or they never got called back because they went all out or and they it looked got banned. creepy. <laughs> yeah, it looked really creepy. I once read an article, like uh, this Playboy article with uh, George Clooney when he was just starting, starting out, to hit. Yeah. And uh, he actually told a story like that. And there's some truth in the fact that you know he started booking things a lot because he, he was famously did like 12 pilot or series before and he ever got, got ER up, right? and yeah. he was that guy who got cast and everything but never took off yeah but well until now yeah now he's doing just fine <laughs> but uh he said he started booking things when he just did wild shit and he just like swung for the fences you know and <sighs> then and sometimes he was way wrong and where you is be your able- musketeer costume i know but i draw the line at- come on they, they did ask me the first thing they asked me are you willing to grow a beard i was like yeah okay whatever but there's 50 guys outside with beards already. I'm sure they'll <laughs> probably get it. You know. So you said when he really swung for the fences and sometimes he missed and, and, and they were like, get away from us. You're scary or what? Uh, yeah. He said sometimes they just thought he was weird. He would bring like props into auditions and things like that and just go, just make huge choices. Yeah. And sometimes when you do that, you're going to make, you're, you're going to be stand wrong. Out. Yeah. You're going to be wrong, but you got to be willing to be wrong, you know, but I guess he had enough and I guess being, you know, a good Rosemary actor and crazy good, good looking and- <laughs> helped a bit as well. But I, I mean, I don't, I don't think that is necessarily true in, in Hollywood because I know some people who are extremely successful and they're not the best looking. No, there's a lot peop- of, there's a lot of good looking people in the city. Oh, absolutely. No, no, never- no. You have to be good, especially to have any kind of uh, length in your career. There's tons of good looking people. That's when people, I remember I talked to somebody who they were talking about, I think it was Brad Pitt. Who I think is uh, great. I think he's a really good actor. And Tom Cruise. No, it was Tom Cruise he was talking about. And some guy said, no, no, he's a terrible actor. And it's like, no, you can't be <laughs> a bad actor and have a, a 30, 40 year career. You can't, you know, there's a lot of good looking people. Yeah. You know, you can turn on a soap opera and see the most beautiful people, but they're not a star. And there's something about also like just some people just jump off the screen. You can't take your eyes off. They them. do. And I've actually seen, I was in a short film and I saw an actress and she actually looked very, very plain in person. And when the camera was on her, yeah, 
like it was just something really weird where I looked at her in the director's screen and I looked at her in real life and it was like she was like 10 times more radiant I was like what's going on here yeah some people just got that thing you know you see you see Julia Roberts in person and it's just you don't get it I don't get it I I never I was a never big fan of her but something about her when she on in on screen she just jumps off you're like who's who's that that person (laughs) yeah yeah so you're you're like the young dad and yeah, I'm you're getting the, that now. I, I noticed you play a lot of kind of like military roles. I had a lot of it. Yeah, I was that guy in the dark suit. I was like a Secret Service guy in 24. In traffic, I was a uh, like a DEA agent. Yeah, yeah, some, yeah. yeah some guy in the dark suit, basically, <laughs> which is what I've got today. Yep. That's what you got Guy in the dark suit today. Yeah. Things never change. <laughs> yeah, stereotyping. So you know about stereotyping. It is, it is. So when, so when did your parents... See, I'm all... I'm a travel Are you guy. in podcast mode? I this am. This is not the Travel no, Tales I, podcast. I want to know you about... stop questioning me right Vietnam. now. <laughs> you can ask me about Vietnam when you're on good... On my show. When you're good and proper and you invite me on your travel... You okay, need to court, I did. You need to court me. Okay. okay. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. You can't just ask me questions on my own podcast. I'm asking <laughs> you questions. All right, I'm along for the ride here. All right. Shoot, you fire are. away. <laughs> You're like, tell me about Vietnam. But I, I did see that on your Travel Tales website that there, you're standing very sexily against a Vietnam writing, Vietnamese that, writing. Yeah, and you can tell me what that means. I was in an alley. That was in Saigon. A friend of mine who was a photographer I was hanging out with, a uh, very talent, talented photographer, Nana Chen. Is, uh, she lives there, and uh, she does a lot of commercial And she didn't tell you what it meant? Uh, no, I was in the alley. We were just walking around an alley. All right, I, I'll have to look it back up after and see. I think it uh, said so, something with a cat. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this white guy's an asshole. Mm, what? <laughs> yeah. Delicious cat is on special today. <laughs> that you're posting yeah. up against. <laughs> but I should know what that says because it's on my on like, your website on your yeah. marketing. <laughs> I just like the photo. I looked at it. I was like, oh, there's Vietnamese writing on his mm-hmm. website, and I know how to read it. Yo, good. Tell please let I, me know what it says. <laughs> It says that it's like after white mama. guy asshole stand here. I actually I'm jealous. I've never been to Vietnam yet. I've Are tried. I have tried to go oh. back three or four times now, and every single time. So not to talk about me on my own podcast, but no, my my but... dad was a uh, anti communist journalist back in the day. So he's very paranoid about going back, and oh, he yeah. went back one his one of his best friends went back and got kidnapped. Oh, my God. And so my dad was paranoid about going back and getting kidnapped because that happened to a colleague of his. And um, he went back for my grandmother's funeral and I wanted to go back. And he was like, oh, what if I get kidnapped? Blah, blah, blah. So they didn't want me to go. And then my mom and my sister went and I was on the road and I couldn't get out of an obligation. So I didn't go. And then I think they went again. Like they've gone three times. I'm like, no. (laughs) Take me. I did like it. I've been there a couple of times. And uh, so I... I like you're more lot. Vietnamese than I am. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> except I can't read the writing on my page. <laughs> no, but did, did they come over after the seventy-five? When it Why all? Why are you interviewing me? I want to know. Why? I'm curious because you know what? <laughs> I'm trying to dig a little deeper into Rosie. That um, sounds weird. That sounds. Awkward. They did. They did. My parents are actually were the first Vietnamese couple to be married in the U.S. And they had this big article in the Washington Post when they got married, and, and they had it framed oh, another cool. divorced. Uh, oh, so the. Newspaper article. First Vietnamese failed marriage. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Pioneers in uh, Vietnamese divorce <laughs> in America. They were wow. the first couple to be married here ever. I don't know about the first, maybe the first to be divorced that were married, obviously. Right. And so they had this Washington Post article that they had framed, which is now in my mom's closet under a bunch of... <laughs> <laughs> Big X over your dad's face. And they were married on July 4th. The Aww. Yeah. So it was like so it was like this true American sweetheart story. Yeah. And then now it's in the back box. <laughs> yeah. It's very weird going around Vietnam because it's uh, as an American, because it's, you know, we're so used to going places like you go through Europe and yeah. uh, you... They talk about you see these remnants of the war and all this all and stuff, and then uh, you know we were kind of on the good side of that and the winning <laughs> side of that, you know. And then you go to Vietnam, and it's just like you know we lost here, and <laughs> and I kind of you get to know you kind of feel like how Germans must feel touring, yeah, yeah, yeah. Europe, you know, and and they say like, well this oh. and they show these ruins of this building and well this this was, is where we defeated the yeah. evil Nazis and they'll go this was destroyed in the war and the Germans are back there yeah sorry. <laughs> And the same thing in Vietnam. We'll go, I went to this, like, uh, 
Way, I guess it's H-U-E. Is yes, the, in the middle of the country. Right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, there's this big uh, fortress, and, and it was all wood, and it was like a palace and all this stuff. And it's like, this is where everything used to be. And it's like, this was destroyed in the American War, and I'm just in the back going, you. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> sorry. It wasn't me. Yeah, I know. But I, I mean, was like, too young. Yeah, but it's I a am cool a young place dad. Don't you guys know I'm a young dad? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's casting here? You need a musketeer because I'm I'm your man. Um. So you said you had a pretty big year this year. You climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. I did. Yeah. Uh. That was on my own. I've been starting to do some more like travel writing for some other sites and and things like that on my own. But, now, did uh, you get into travel? I, I don't mean to cut you off. Did you get into travel through stand up or just because you like traveling? Well, no. I I. I had never left the country till I got out of college and I did the kind of like the stereotypical six week backpacking thing around <laughs> Europe, you know, get, uh, uh, did you stay in hostels? Oh yeah. I did the whole thing. Did someone try to murder you? Uh, no, but, uh, <laughs> tried to steal my stuff. I had, yeah. Yeah. You always get the, the people that are up all night. Some people throwing up, you know, just playing, uh, techno music and yeah, for, yeah, yeah. you know, some weird Dutch guy. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> And some crazy Australians or whatever. And it was just a great experience. But I'd never been out of the country and just kind of opened my eyes to like the world and kind of like, oh, my God. And you're a typical Midwest boy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I grew yeah, up yeah. in Chicago. And <laughs> yeah, I had never been, never been out of the country until that time. And, and uh, so I was like, oh, my God, this is cool. And I just kind of dug it. And uh, I always vowed that, you know, if I ever had the chance, I was going to take trips whenever I I could. So... Then I started doing stand-up, and I was on the road for years, and I went all over the country, and that kind of taught me how to travel alone. Well, traveling for stand-up, I feel, is different than traveling. I know when I'm traveling for stand-up, I I love, obviously, seeing anything local, but I feel like it's a job, kind of. Yeah, I mean... Whereas when I'm on vacation, I'm like, ooh, vacation mode! Right. (laughs) Well, I started doing things like during the day, because, you know, stand-up, you had 23 hours of the day to kill, you know, and uh, (laughs) especially you're in small-town Iowa, and so I ended up, you know... In the summer, you'd play golf or something. Well, that could kill a day. You know, you go to the mall. There's always a mall somewhere. <laughs> you'd see a lot of movies. But then if there was anything interesting around, I'd try to go see that. Like, I remember taking... I would do things like take a brewery tour somewhere, <laughs> or I would go to uh, the, the Bowling Hall of Fame in St. Louis or something. Just something to break it up. But it, what it did, it was, you know, it's not like traveling with a band. You know, you're yeah. always alone. And so you have to learn how to go to movies alone, to restaurants alone, to get around. You know? Obviously, and so, you're not a very friendly person, Mike. What about the other two comics on <laughs> <in> the show? <laughs> <laughs> They're not in the car with you for eight hours. You know, where did you start? And did you start stand up out here? Or? I started in New Orleans, and uh, there's actually a little scene bubbling there now. There, there's there been, never was. New Orleans is one of those cities that comedy just did not fly. Comedy is cursed in New Orleans. Yeah. Um, we had an improv which closed. Actually, the improv. I remember that improv. The improv comedy chain is actually headquartered in New Orleans because it's owned by. It was owned by Al Copeland Industries, who owns Copeland's Restaurants and Popeyes, or did own Popeyes. It's so sad that it's like you know, Comedy Inc. <laughs> That's the most corporate. Comedy They've and been Popeyes. bought out by Viacom. And then, yeah. We have shoe stores and comedy clubs, and we make asbestos. Uh, so the improv chain was actually based in New Orleans, but there was no comedy club there. And then there was a couple comedy clubs there. There was When I started, there was a comedy club there called The Joke Gym, mm-hmm. which went under. And there was another comedy club called... I don't know. There's been 10 or 20 comedy clubs and they've yeah, all failed miserably. They've just never been able to make it in that town. Even at the riverboats, right? Even- they can't do it because what a lot of comedy clubs, they are a tourist attraction, but they're also mostly catered to locals. In New Orleans, there's so many things to do. You know, every weekend there's a yeah. jazz fest or a crawfish it's festival. all music and food. Music and live music every night. And you can, you know, go into a place and there's a world famous jazz musician playing so it just was really hard yeah. i get it because i mean if i'm in new orleans the last thing i think about is going to a comedy club you yeah, know i'm, I'm eating and we're going to see music you know you're doing anything else and you, you want to walk on the street with your hurricane and yes. go to a strip club or something something fun and and so comedy did not do well even the improv at harris it did not do well because people want to gamble and go out and yeah. party and you know and so now there's kind of an indie scene there um, there's a comedy independent comedy festival there. When I started, we had a comedy festival called the New Orleans Comedy Festival that went on for ten years. But it was more just for the comics. It's like we would bring in a headliner from LA and uh, have show like just the same bar shows that we did. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it wasn't really a comedy festival. <laughs> there was like one booker from like you know that booked like one nighters that came. It was like the industry, <laughs> right? Tom Sobel coming in from <laughs> Kentucky or something. Yeah, we have industry here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, 
So I actually then moved out here, which I I think was a mistake. I think I should have gone Chicago, New York first. Yeah, I was I was really glad I started in Chicago. I mean, it was very there was a lot of clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I got in at like the tail end of the comedy boom of the eighties, <laughs> and I was like right at the butt. That's how I, I do Everyone's that. Everyone's like leaving. You're like, I'm here, guys. yes, it, it really was like that. <laughs> there was this first wave of guys that had gone to L.A. and and then, but there was a lot of work. I think when I was starting out, there was about fourteen full time comedy clubs between the city and the suburbs. Wow, so there was that's a, a lot. There was a place to get on stage every night. Uh, as an open mic or whatever, just just to get stage time, which and is practice. everything when you start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and within about six months, uh, half of those clubs had closed, oh, and there was gosh. a recession. It was the early '90s, and uh, so a lot of them closed, but a lot of them had to close. It was just too many. It was saturated, yeah. and there was a lot of bad comics working. You know, so <laughs> that helped kill it. There was a lot of reasons that helped kill it, but that was one of them. Thanks, bad comics. Yeah, they just spread them too thin, and uh, so, but still, it, it's a very supportive community you know we were all about kind of of, um just being funny there was no real industry around so you were never worried that there's an agent in the crowd or we just like we were just a bunch of young people trying to be funny and yeah so there was this kind of interesting there was like the stand-up crowd but in chicago improv is even bigger yeah so second city is just this monster industry and and the offshoots of uh you know, the Improv Olympic and all these, all these, there was an improv group on every corner, you know, and I remember <laughs> I started out with a lot of those guys from the UCB and, and, uh, I remember those, those times, I, but it was all about just Back being in the funny, day. <laughs> but it really was. I mean, at that time, like Tina Fey and, and Steve Carell were at Second City and I used to, we used to hang out in the same bars, the after hours bars right down there by the, by those clubs. And it was great, you know, so, but at least you need a place to be bad. And you just need time. Yeah, and I think L.A. is a really bad place to go when you're so young because the scene out here is not supportive at all. It's not supportive. Uh, there's not a lot of stage time. You're fighting for, the, you know, a, with, like, celebrities. with a million other people. <laughs> and yeah. celebrities for stage time. Yeah, and, um, you know, there could be somebody in the crowd who sees you before you're even ready. And, and they, they move on to, yeah. you know, run a comedy division of a studio. And they're like, oh, I remember that Rosie. She's not... Yeah, she's not that good. Please don't use my name on this example. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah. No, it happened to me. Uh, even though I had been... I mean, this was in terms of casting, not so as much comedy. But uh, yeah, I guess in a little bit of comedy, too, that, that I came out here. I went from Chicago to New York, and I was in New York for about a year and a half, uh, which was a great move as well, I think, because um, it's just... By that time, I was doing stand-up full-time. And I was doing a lot of colleges, so there was a lot of work on the East Coast. There's just a lot more comedy work on the East Coast, there and it's is. really there's close. A lot more. It's really Every, close together. I mean, there's like you, twenty different states shoved yeah. together. <laughs> like when I'm like in the Midwest, for us, it was nothing for us to drive like seven, eight hours to go work. You know, like I would drive to Omaha, which is about, and <laughs> like Minneapolis was six and a half hours. Omaha was about seven and a half. Detroit was about four and a half. You knew exactly. Indy was three. So I knew how to get... Uh, Indy's three hours from New York? From Chicago. Oh, from Chicago. No, I was no, like, Whoa. from Chicago. These are, like, where all, are you going? <laughs> these are all Chicago times and distances. But you knew how to get... And that's what we would do. But you know, then I got to New York. And for the New York guys, like going to Boston was like, you're going all the way to Boston. I was like, it's just four hours. It's, it's, that's nothing. <laughs> to them, to that was the a way out of town. They you didn't know? want to leave the city. They didn't leave the city or like Long Island or Connecticut <laughs> or, you know, anything you can take the a train... The area, Yeah, right? you can take a train to. But... <laughs> It was a great move and just like a, it was more of like a life experience move, you know. It was just kind of to live in New- I think everybody should live in New York for a year. It's it's good for you. I think it's good for young people anyway. I mean, you, I couldn't go back now because you got to be making a ton of money. <laughs> you know, you, you get comfortable out here of having some space and, you know, you don't want to live You like do an get kind of spoiled. But when you're young and single and just it, there's no better place. There's no, you know, New York is really exciting. And it teaches people to live together. You know, I mean, a lot and of tolerate pe- each other on top yeah. of each other. <laughs> you have to. Because, My sister lives in New York. And, it, and, you know, you forget like most of this country and certainly a lot of its cities are really segregated. And if you're like, especially if you don't have to take public transportation or there's no people just don't deal with one another. And so they don't. And New York, you can't be sheltered. I mean, the minute you, you step on the sidewalk. <laughs> Someone's like spitting on yeah. you, stepping on you. And you're going to hear eight different languages all day. And you've got to sit in the same subway with them and next to them. And it just it forces people to be tolerant, you know, and you need more of that, you know, because if people don't deal with one another, that's when eventually, you know, riots happen and <laughs> things like that. It's true. You know, you forget, a, it's, it's pretty segregated in this country. And Chicago was very segregated city. 
and uh, a lot of them are. You know, people live in their own little their bubbles sections. Right? Yeah, and if you're sealed up in a car all day, LA is pretty segregated. LA is very segregated. It is. Um, I, I got sidetracked because I was asking you about Mount Kilimanjaro, and then oh I don't right, know what right, happened. right. I know what happened. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I learned to travel, and then so I would whenever I had some spare time or money, I uh, I would try to leave the country every time I could. Oh, somebody's here. Is somebody here? Uh, that's my co-host, Mitzi. Um, oh. Actually, Mike, she's actually listed on the Out of the Box podcast website as a co-host. Oh. Because she does her um, her one or two episode bark every episode, <laughs> and she gives her opinion. So she was just letting you know that she likes that you travel. She's taking the story. She does. She wants to hear more about Kilimanjaro. She does. Uh, so anyway, yeah, so I would take trips and then whatever. So years go by, and I would, I've been every continent except... Uh, Antarctica, but this year. Are you going? No, I'd love to. Okay. I would love to go. The, when you um, said this soon. year and trailed off, I was like, oh. No, but this year, like the last few years, I was hosting a show on TBS called TBS Movie Extra. It was a weekly show every, you know, that went on for nine years. And wow. I always said when it ended, I was going to take a big trip. So then I, t- I did a three month thing where I kind of went around the world. And then, but so I've been doing a lot more writing this year. And this year, my goal was I wanted to climb Mount Kilimanjaro while I could still do it. And so. I did it in February, and it was uh, it was great. And I took a little safari beforehand, and because you're gonna go that far, you gotta spend some time. You know, the the hike only took five days. Only five. Well, days. Well, and that's <laughs> yeah, and that's actually the minimum. That's like the shortest. You have to go so slow to acclimate because it's because of the elevation. The right? elevation, yeah, it's really high, and uh, is like nineteen thousand three hundred and something feet. What what made you think Kilimanjaro? As, uh, a, as a life goal. I knew. Is it just a bucket list thing? Well, I had heard some people. Some people who did my show had climbed it. And uh, there were, the more they told me about it, I was like, wow. Yeah. It was like, so what kind of stuff were they saying? Um, well, I knew it wasn't because I'm not a mountain climber. So I don't know how to. This, it's not a technical climb. You don't have like to, where you're using rope ropes and harnesses. And, yeah, none of that. You're just hiking, right? It's, yeah, it's just a trail, basically. So the, the thing that gets everybody is the uh, altitude. So I had I'd done like a 14,000 a mountain in Colorado, but that was as high as I'd been. So you mean this with, was high. The, with your breathing and everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And did you camp along the way? Obviously, since it was yeah. Well, yeah. there's one route. There's a, many different routes up there, but the route I took was the one that had built-in huts, and wow. it's also the shortest. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had just done a safari for like a week before that in Africa, and I'm setting up a tent and breaking it down every day, and I was just kind of, I was kind of over the, over the tent thing. <laughs> But the, the downside is it's the shortest route, and you think, well, that's great. It's short, but you really should take an acclim- the longer acclimatization route. day. I'll, every expert say, because uh, a lot of people do get altitude sickness, and I did a little bit. What it, so what is altitude sickness? I've never climbed a giant mountain, so um, I don't know. It but affects, I, can, I can assume, but I, I, let's, let's, it started, let's... I started to feel it. I mean, after about 12,000 feet, I, you start feeling... You like get dizzy? a little shortness of breath, and well, most people, but like, like for me... I've felt this in like skiing in Colorado and stuff. It's just hard sleeping. Like sleeping is a little more difficult. But other than that, I was fine. But once I hit 15,000, that's when it was really like headaches, nausea. So what um, is causing that? Just the pressure on your body? Yeah, it's, it's the lack of oxygen and, and there, there's a word for it. But there, you can get this pulmonary thing that can be really dangerous. People die up there. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I probably should have looked into it a little more, but as I, on the fifth day, there was all these dead bodies on the ground. <laughs> yeah, but an ex-girlfriend of mine did it. One of the reasons she was telling me about it, she did it a few years ago, and it was weird because I ended up having the same tour guide, the gu- lead guide, as she did. Um, but a guy died on, her, on when she was there. Uh, this Korean guy was he just, older or just his no? Body he's in his forties, I think. Uh, you know, but I probably you know drinker or smoker, but. You know, it, it affects altitude affects everybody a different way. Like uh, like a Navy SEAL could be wiped out, and then a sixty five year old lady's going right <laughs> up. I mean, you never know. So I was in a group of ten, and nine of us made it to the peak. So that was pretty good. But one guy. Whoa, 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 whoa! So what happened to the the last one? Well, we were going. Yeah, we we're going the final ascent. We were doing the final ascent uh, at night. We left at about midnight. We leave the hut at fifteen thousand feet, and you just walk for like six, seven hours up the. Uh, yeah, the mountain and then he started to and he was in good shape he was like a runner guy in his 30s and uh all of a sudden he started walking a little crooked started slurring his words oh uh -oh. and uh it was like he was drunk or something and uh we left him behind with a guide 
and we didn't think he was going to be and that was it we just saw we see him on the way back down like we thought immediately they'd take him back down oh my gosh i'm scared and uh <laughs> so we go up and we ended up you know summiting and then we come back down back to the huts and we find out later that he had gone he had made it as far as to it's there's a point called gilman's point where it's like when you finally kind of hit the ridge at the top of the ridge and you think you're oh, we're at the top and then you realize to get to the actual peak there's another hour and a half walk along the rim to get even higher but he made it to that first point and we we couldn't believe it this guy stayed with him the entire way and walked him up and uh he didn't he never made it to the peak but he did make it to that point which was pretty impressive because we thought he was you know they were going to take him home you know yeah no he made it oh okay i was scared i was like oh my god yeah no no it was was pretty (laughs) incredible but uh no it was a great experience but it was hard and then i went i flew to zanzibar from there uh, just for a few days afterwards, just kind of recovered and just laid around a pool. And just like, <laughs> it felt like I was hung over. And I realized, oh, I did get sick. You know? I thought I was going to heave like you know, four times up that mountain, but I, uh, I didn't. I made it. So what is included when you go on a safari? No, the safari was part of your three-month vacation. No, no, no. This was this, was this year. The three-month thing was end of 2011. Okay, okay. And so that's when I went to Vietnam was part of that. I did two weeks in Vietnam. Uh, I did like two months in Southeast Asia, and then I was in... Eastern Europe, and then I went to Israel and Jordan, and then Turkey. I went to Istanbul, and then I went. So, is it true Asia. that everyone around the world speaks English, or did you have guides? I never had a never had a problem. I mean, we're very fortunate knowing English around the world. If there is a universal language or international language, it's that because even throughout Asia, um, if they they'll know their local language. And if they know one other language, it's, it's, English. it's English. So I never... Imperialism even, has won. Yeah. Even, <laughs> and our media, you know, I mean, they, they watch the TV and movies and they learn through that. And, but if you know English, I mean, you, and they also know that most Europeans, especially younger ones, know English. So now you've covered them. You've covered all of America, the Australians, you know, the, <laughs> so that's a lot of us, you know. So you never had any issues. No, the hardest place, um, even in remote Taiwan, areas? Taiwan was tough, and I, I've never been to mainland China, but I guess when you get there, it's pretty. Not a lot of people know English. I mean, you'll go to like most of the cities, you'll you'll get by. I mean, I tell people don't worry about it. Like a friend of mine just left the country for the first time. He went to visit a friend in Prague, and he's like, "What? I don't know the." It's like they all know it. They all know <laughs> it, and they, a lot of them learned it in schools, especially in the Eastern Europe. And like I've been to Croatia this year and I've been there a few times and yeah, they all know it. Never had a problem. Never had a problem. Yeah. The older people, little, um, you'll run into it. Do you speak and, any other languages? I know a little bit of Spanish and I can get by in Spanish, but I want to be more fluent. I really do. I know. That's my dream to learn like five languages. Yeah. Spanish, especially to live here. <laughs> I mean, come on. We're in LA. It would help a lot. And plus that opens up all of South America other than Brazil. I mean, it opens up all of South and Central America to travel to. And for guys, it opens up the dating pool, guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even in Cuba. Cuba had a little tough time. You know, my, I had my broken Spanish I had to get around Cuba. I kind of snuck into Cuba because we're not allowed to go there. But you, I think you can go if you, there's a, the workaround where you go to like another country and then fly in. Right? Yeah, that's how I did. I, I, went, I went through Cancun. The workaround. Yeah, I did the workaround. <laughs> Yeah. So I want to hear about the safari because I I have never been in an African African safari. Yeah. I'm assuming or this is that one, a stereotype? It was, <laughs> it was, yeah, this was in uh, we started in Nairobi in Kenya and then went in Tanzania. And it was it was great. We camped out in the Serengeti and saw all the animals and Are you allowed to touch them? Uh no. That would that would not be recommended. Because I see some of these these you know pictures and I know that there's been a lot of um I don't know if you heard the story of uh people taking selfies with bears and the, and how the u.s government is trying to strongly discourage that because people are yeah <laughs> stop taking selfies it's with the bears re- in yellowstone it's not please. really good to le- lose your fear of bears <laughs> i won't recommend that but i'll see people you know going to thailand or australia and they're like hugging these like baby tigers and all this stuff and i'm like what are they well what especially is in thailand there's a, a guy just actually did my podcast and he was talking about this there's a temple they call it the tiger temple outside of uh bangkok and uh these monks raise that's why I'm asking you if you're like touching animals because yeah. I'll see people posting these, these pictures. These are trained. It's almost like zoo circus kind of things. And, and I, I'm like, I don't know if you should be hugging that tiger like that. <laughs> yeah, that, I still haven't done that. But I've been to Thailand a few times, but I just haven't gone to that one. But 
And, yeah. and like in Australia too, I have friends that have gone to Australia on honeymoon, and they're like, "Here's me hugging a koala." I'm like, "Is that a good idea?" Yeah, the koalas are pretty, pretty, pretty safe. But that yeah, there's a kangaroo farm. You can go stand next to them. They're like deer, you know. It's like <laughs> okay, and they're around. You know, I've been to some like uh, where was I? Japan. I went to some place, and there was like monkeys everywhere, and they were just. It was on a mountain, and there was a reserve there, and they would just follow you everywhere, and there's all these rules. Did they rules. touch you or climb on you or anything? Well, you got to be careful. In this one in Bali, yeah, they did climb on you. They give you food to feed them, and I was like, I'm not feeding them, because they'll like, jump on your back and like grab the thing. <laughs> They're monkeys. There's, they could be vicious, you know? <laughs> but there's all these rules they tell you, like don't look them straight in the eye, because they see that as an act as of, a threat, like, yeah, right? we're going to fight now, that kind of thing. So don't don't look at them right in the eye. Like there was all these little don't poke th- them. Don't French don't kiss poke, the monkeys. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> don't bring an organ and grind it. So they'll dance. Yeah, there's all these rules. And yeah, I I, I kind of back off the animals. But unless I'm underwater, I'm a big I'm a diver. So that's I love diving with. I've never with. done scuba, but I've done snuba, which is like the fake scuba. Yeah, wait, is that with like a there's a tube? You don't wear a tank, right? You don't wear there's a tank. A... There's a tank that's on a raft above you, and then there's a cord. It, I don't know. Uh, it, yeah, and it just goes... an air hose. Like you... Yeah, and okay. it goes down, and I got dizzy dropping the altitude down. Is that called yeah, yeah, altitude yeah. when it's no. down? No. <laughs> Depth, seawater? What is yeah. it called? <laughs> you were submerged, uh, submerged down into the... Yeah. What is it called? Uh, I My mind is blanking right now. <laughs> I've been doing this for... 25 years of diving um <laughs> well then i'm calling it underwater altitude <laughs> yeah no so, uh, i've done you, fake scuba diving okay so you have trouble like uh equalizing and like do your ears can you pop your ears my ears and... popped and then i had a lot of anxiety underwater trying to breathe through that little thing are you claustrophobic at all i'm not that freaks out some people i'm not it just i don't know i just had this fear that i was gonna like run out of oxygen and Oh, really? So I don't know if that's claustrophobia. It just, I guess the getting used to breathing underwater was hard for me. Yeah. And then I just felt like, what if someone cuts this oxygen cord? I'm like way (laughs) under, I'm pretty far down here. (laughs) How deep did you go? I don't know numbers. I've I've only been a few times. I'm not an expert like you. No, that's okay. (laughs) Did you see anything good? Where were you? I was in Cancun. Oh, right. And I saw, I saw schools of fish and and creatures and, and things. It was like a... A reef. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what the name of it was. I went to this. Um, uh, they have these Mexican theme parks that are like also water parks, and they have. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mexican theme parks. So no. they were they were like water parks, but also they had animals there. It was really strange. Okay, it, you could swim with dolphins, and it's like Sea World, but with rides, kind of. Kind of, but. Like more dangerous, but only like you could do it because it was Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) No rules. (laughs) I have like I went diving in Vietnam. Yes, no rules. Yeah, that was just like, are you even going to check my you know diver's license? No certification. Nah, you're good. We trust you. (laughs) Okay, we're great. I had a friend that went to Vietnam, and he had me as his travel agent translator because he had a travel agent, and she spoke English, but it was very broken English. Yeah, and it was so funny because she was. Um, so Vietnamese people do this, and I've heard this. I don't know if you experience this, but they have separate prices for Vietnamese people and for... Yeah. Not- you see the white guy coming in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he was trying to book a private boat in um, Halong Bay. Oh, yeah. Okay. And- I did that. I would stay on the junk boat. And- yeah, yeah, yeah. And- oh, he wanted a private one. Yes, but the rate that they were giving him was really, I'm sure it's really ridiculous. Yeah. So they- he kept arguing, and, he-, and he-, he said, Rosie, will you please talk to this woman i will buy you lunch so i said sure and he's like okay i'm gonna put my friend rosie on the phone <laughs> and then as soon as she heard that i spoke vietnamese and i was a vietnamese person she like freaked out because the price she was giving him was like obviously the white yeah, person outrageous price. <laughs> yeah not a lot of lo- locals are going to halong bay and just spending a night either i mean it's a beautiful place i mean it's these I'm mountains so coming up out of the water and it's, it's really nice it's a little outside of hanoi yeah, so I, I was able to get him a cheaper price, but I still did not get the local price. There's like three... Vietnamese, they have like a three-tier system. Oh, yeah. They even have a name for Vietnamese that are not from Vietnam, and they'll give them a different price as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cuba is really weird. Like, Cuba is the only place I've been where they have like two forms of money. They do? Yeah, they'll have like a convertible peso, which is what they give the, um, the tourists. 
So okay. we get what, and it's one to one to the U.S. dollar. So it's so, like money discrimination. Yeah, no, no, it's a different money, and the locals get the local Cuban peso, which so is worth know. nothing. I mean, it's it's almost like food stamps, you know. So yeah. they get they get an allotment, and so you know they we eat at the places that accept. We eat and shop. That's it's kind of meant for us to Spend separate us, yeah, and <laughs> to soak us for more because their currency is like that. It's really poor, mm-hmm. Cuba. So I mean, their money. If you can get stuff and eat it where they eat and go where they go, it's insanely cheap. Yeah, because I mean, their money is worth. So you, know, you couldn't so trade. Tiny. You couldn't find a local. There trade? are places you could do it. I was only there for a few nights, so I didn't rock the boat really. But <laughs> if I was to go out. Uh, Comedian Mike Siegel in Cuban prison. What? Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, that was that was fascinating. So, what made you decide to start the Travel Tales podcast? You have this passion of travel, you know. I you're... did, and I like to talk about it. And um, I didn't want to do. I, you know, all my friends have podcasts, and some of them are really successful comedians. Um, but I just didn't want another, you know, show where two comedians are, you know, bullshitting basically. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just something I never get bored of talking about, too. That's always important, you know. So um, it's a little niche, but also I wanted to move more. I'm you know, like pitching my own uh, hosting gigs, too, and like trying to produce my own TV shows. So I wanted to... It was a vehicle for you. Yeah, but I, wanted also to, I wanted to give, a little, give myself a little more credibility as a travel, quote-unquote, expert uh, when I go pitch a travel show. I don't know if you know this, Mike, but if you have a website, you're an expert on anything these oh, is days. Is that it? Okay, yeah. <laughs> Or self-publish a book. Um, yeah. I have a friend who is, you guys listening all know who I'm talking about. I love him very much, and he's awesome, and he's been a guest on the show. He is a Bitcoin advocate, um, expert. Yeah. I don't know. I don't get it. It and just kind of scares me. he is a Bitcoin expert because he has a website and self-publishes Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, I've, I've lost out on hosting gigs, or something, and they say, oh, we need a so-and-so, like, I don't know, pick a dating expert. And I was like, okay, what makes them, are they a therapist a doctor no <laughs> they just wrote like some blog you know what i mean and just like oh that's an expert now okay there with the internet now you can do anything yeah yeah <laughs> so it's kind of like i hate to use the term branding but you kind of do need to find your little niche in this business so and but that's one of mine and it's, it's something uh, yeah i love it and uh i never get tired of doing it doing it and uh i don't get tired of talking about it well just so you know i when i release the episode i will Put Mike Siegel, travel expert. Oh, good. Thank you. I'll take it. Why not? So since you are a travel expert, let's talk about some travel tips for those listening who maybe are not world travelers. You've traveled the world. You've been on almost every continent except for Antarctica. Yes. You said, right? You just had a travel hacker here, though, didn't you? I did. I had Kevin Lay. He was a travel hacker, and he talked about traveling on the cheap. Yeah. I mean, I use a lot of those. uh, That's what's helped me get around the world, actually. So anybody who's listening, I mean... I think the biggest misconception about travel is that people think it's really expensive and it doesn't really have to be. I think the the flights can be, but you can get around those. I mean, I do a lot of things like like Kevin was talking about with uh, like travel car- travel uh, credit card deals. You know, you sign up, you get 50,000. Like I just took my mom to Ireland. Oh like my on her God, dream what trip. a good boy. I'm a good boy, yeah. Ladies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> but I mean, I... I all our flights uh, were worth miles, so uh, on American miles. And I signed up for a credit card where I got like 100,000 miles to sign up. I mean, there was a lot of spending limit requirements and all that stuff, but I did it. And uh, since it's off-peak season, which is another time, another tip for people, like if you go anywhere in like October, November, um, it's a great time to travel anywhere because you can get great deals and flights. You can use miles. There's less blackout dates. It's because it's off peak season. So go in those spring or fall, and you try to go in the dead of winter. If you want to go to somewhere like <laughs> Europe in August, you're going to be paying top dollar. If you try to use it in like over the holidays, you're going to be paying top dollar. So but, yeah, but if you can, if you just, can be flexible, flexibility is key in everything. But what about just you know getting around like you said? So so you know you broke a stereotype out there that a lot of people think you need to speak the language, and you're saying no, you no don't. no fear brings. Uh, people worry about that a lot. I've never really had a problem getting around in any country. I guess the reason it's important to me is because the majority of my listeners, I do have some international listeners. Yay. Yay. But um, the majority of my listeners are from the U.S. And the United States is notoriously known for lack of 
international travel as a society, yeah. unfortunately. And I think that causes a lot of kind of what you said when you were talking about people being isolated in their little bubbles. Yes. You know, I have had relatives or friends that don't travel a lot. I have a brother who's never left the country. And, uh, I have friends that have never been on airplanes. And yeah. they're, so there's there's a fear level because, you know, or a fear of culture. You know, I went I've I went to the Middle East, but it was for a comedy for military tours. And people were saying, well, weren't you scared? And what about being covered up? And, you know, I was on bases. But when I did travel off base and, and talk to people and meet locals, I mean, they're people just like us. And right. everyone was so wonderful and giving. And I even had a gentleman, you know, give me the scarf off his back literally off his back because i i wanted one of those middle eastern scarves that they wear yeah 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 over their head they're like red and white and they i couldn't find one anywhere you couldn't find one i couldn't find (laughs) one i forgot what country i was in because i did a multiple country tour but for some reason i couldn't find one in that country and we were heavily it was during wartime so we were heavily as comedians guarded and i wasn't really able to go as freely as some of the other military tours i've done oh sure i never did one i've always wanted to oh you haven't done one no i've always wanted to oh my gosh i'll have to recommend you yeah (laughs) no i I, I would go in a second yeah and so there was a small little i forgot what they're called there's like a slang term for them that's like derogatory but (laughs) (laughs) there's these little shops where they they sell stuff and um and one of the guys had it wrapped around his head and I asked him, can I buy it from you? And he just said, oh, and he just gave it to me. Yeah. And I've had other experiences where in countries where people were supposedly very anti-woman and anti-American. And I think as long as you're not blatantly disrespectful to people, then they're pretty nice. Back. Yeah, Kindness goes a long way and tolerance goes a long way. I mean... I understand the fear of not of the unknown. I understand not having the money to go anywhere. I understand not having the vacation time or whatever. But what I don't understand is people who don't have the curiosity, who are like, nah, I'm good with not knowing. That. <laughs> I was like, really? You've seen pictures of Paris your entire life? You never, nah, I'm good. Okay, that I don't get. You know, I was like, okay, wow, we're just different people. But um, yeah, whenever you s- hear people going, America's the greatest country in the world, man. Like, you haven't been anywhere else, have you? <laughs> I can guarantee you those people have not traveled much. Um, and not to say that Mike and I don't love America. No, I mean, but you, and There's I would tell this to my brother. There's some pretty beautiful places out there. I would tell this to my brother and I would say, you know, he's big into fishing and camping and all this other stuff. And I was in New Zealand once and I was like, you would love it. This is like your perfect <laughs> place. It's gorgeous. It's clean. I mean. They speak English for crying out loud. I mean, you would you would love it. And he, it was like a defensive knee jerk. He just went, "Well, there's a lot of cool places here too." I go, "Yeah, it's <laughs> it's not an either or situation. <laughs> just because I like somewhere else doesn't mean I hate America. You know what I mean? It's just like you can like both. You can and so and I think it's good. It's good. It's like chocolate and vanilla. Yeah, both are delicious, but they're delicious for different reasons. Or or any other thing. You know, you don't say, "Well." steak or shrimp steak and shrimp <laughs> yeah but it's also one of the reasons i've uh, i've traveled alone a lot because i learned a long time ago especially as you get older and people are working and they're starting families if, if you wait for people to go with you'll never you'll go. never go so you have to like block off the time whatever your job is say no you book the ticket and it's like i'm gonna do it in four months i'm i've booked this and you tell everybody you organize your life and say i'm not gonna be here for two weeks <laughs> And uh, and then you'll do it. And but you have to want to go. I can't install the curiosity in people. So I'm not going to drag some. You, if you travel with someone who doesn't want to be there, you're going to have a horrible time. You know, you have to like, well, this is boring. Or no, you and can't. I, I would say if you're not a world traveler as well, it's kind of like eating sushi. If you're, you've never had sushi. You don't want to go sashimi right away. You want to do a California roll or something exactly. that's going to ease people in. So go to London, go to Australia, go to New Zealand, go to like, you know, they yeah. speak English. You're not going to be... It's not a big culture it's shock. It's not going to be a culture yeah. shock. I'm not going to throw you right into India. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'll start you off slow. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go to England. We got, yeah, Australia is really easy. I mean, it's other than the flight, once you get there, I mean, it's... My only problem with Australia, it's just not that much different from here. Yeah. You know, I'd like to have a little more... You know, the countries are about the same age. There's nothing really that old. <laughs> Anything older than like a couple hundred years was Aborigine. It's been wiped out. It's been really wiped out. So it's really sad. But I mean, it's gorgeous and the people are really nice. And But I mean, I'm saying for those of you who are listening who are maybe thinking about traveling or have been thinking for a long time and, and maybe have a spouse or someone who's difficult or might be scared to travel, 
you don't have to go to New Delhi no, right yeah. away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't have to go. Or Vietnam. Yeah, Vietnam is, is very, you know, for me, obviously, since I grew up with a culture, it's fine. But if you're, you know, living in Cleveland or something, you've never left Ohio. But again, it's good to be, you know, a lot of people in this country, specifically white people. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's good to go to a place where you stand, you are a minority, you know? And like, I was, I remember one of my favorite stories, I was walking through Hanoi, and I think it was like New Year's Day or New Year's Eve Day or something. And there was going to be a big parade or something. And there's all these parade floats. And I'm just kind of I'm by myself. I'm just walking around this park and just looking at the floats. And um, this girl comes up to me and asks if, if she, you know, in broken English, but asked if she could take a photo with me. I was like, uh, all right, sure. <laughs> and so like, her oh, friend she takes... recognizes her, me yeah, from I don't TBS. Know, yeah. She's got basic cable here in uh, Hanoi. And so uh, we take a photo. And once other people saw that I was okay with taking a photo, people started coming out of the woodwork. Some dude asked me, could we have a photo? And it's like, take a photo with the white guy. And it's crazy. <laughs> and all these people just started like, gathering around like, me, like snapping white. photos. Yeah. And it's like, what are you going to do with those? Me and here's this guy, you know? <laughs> but, oh, my God. I'm traveling through India. And I mean, there was these blonde women in our group that I was with. And I just felt so, I mean, just the stares. People were like always want to take a photo with them. Like some people would give them their baby. Could you hold my baby? And it's like, she's not magic. She's just a white person, you know? <laughs> Can you hold my baby? They would. They would like have a po- photo with my baby. And it's like, what are you going to, you going to show that to your friends? Like here, here's the white lady holding our baby. Here's the magical. Is- they do exist. Yeah. It's not just on the TV screen. But India. Yeah. That was really, you really, wow. And I heard, uh, China is kind of the same way. I mean, it's just they're just they don't meet them. They don't meet them like it's that. It's true, yeah. and I th- and I think you know for some people it can be an ego boost. I have a friend; he does not look like Brad Pitt at all. Mm-hmm. Let me reiterate that, ladies. <laughs> he went to Japan, and every Japanese girl was like, "Oh my god, you look like Brad Pitt!" <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, "I love Japan." Oh uh, yeah, this is yes, it's me. Every girl thinks I'm Brad Pitt, mm-hmm. and and that also happened to another friend of mine who I traveled to France with who is a light-skinned black gentleman, and everyone thought he was Kobe Bryant. I'm like, he is not Kobe Bryant. Yeah. Now, now, granted, Denzel! Denzel is here! <laughs> oh, Denzel! Granted, we were in the French countryside, but everyone, and they, there are a lot of African people in France, actually, but he, everyone was like, he's Kobe Bryant. I'm like, he is not Kobe Bryant. Yeah. He's a tall, light-skinned black dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it can, it can be kind of a little fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's it's amazing how like Western Europe is still is getting more and more. It's very integrated now. Like oddly enough, like Germany is one of the most like, culturally diverse countries there are in Europe now, which is and, and tolerant. Which you know who would have said that like, sixty <laughs> years ago? Um, but Eastern Europe, it gets you know it gets really white, you know, and so you get a little more I think- stares and uh, there's more right wing, you know, racist crap. Uh, Russia's really. I think Bad. I think Germany is like that because of the history. Because I, uh, yeah, they're because, overly compensating well, overly, now. Overly, yeah. and that happened when I again I was on another military tour and I was in Germany, and um, our our I guess tour guide host was German and he said Germans are very paranoid about the stereotype from yeah. the Nazis, so they kind of overdo it. Yeah. <laughs> And anybody, and it's like illegal to show any kind of like like a swastika or something like that. They'll they'll come down hard on it now, but see how weird it's become. I did a stand up uh, when I was there a few years ago in Berlin. It was like an English comedy night somewhere, and uh, you know Avi Lieberman. I do know. Avi. Yeah, he kind of set this. He's like, oh, if you're going to Berlin, look up this girl. So this Australian woman books an English comedy night at some bar. So we're doing it, and there was me. There was a Canadian guy on there. There's a, there a woman uh, English. There's a couple English comics. And this guy I had to follow was this English comic, and he went up. And I'm not kidding you. This is in Berlin, and most of the crowd are not German. They're people from all over. A lot of expats, English, yeah, expats, other, yeah. yeah. Um, but this guy goes up. He's dressed as Hitler, uh, full on Hitler outfit, mustache, the whole thing, and sang Frank Sinatra songs. <laughs> and he called himself Frank Sinatzi. Oh my God! And how did he do? Killed. Killed. And I was like, I got to follow Frank Sinatzi in Berlin. I'm going to Google it, him. He, oh, he's, on, he's online. And he just came up and I was like, you got balls, friend. You Man, God bless you. 
Were you able to do straight stand-up? I did okay, yeah. The um, the host went up and burned some time in between and gave me a buffer, you know. But thank you, host. Thank you. A good host. She knew. I mean, a good host. On. And by the way, how do you not? How is he not the closer? The, I mean, <laughs> come on. We got to follow that. It's very hard to follow that. Any variety acts, children are yeah, impossible music. to follow. I had to follow a child once on stage. A child doing what? Stand up. Oh. And it was. That's not funny. People just like, oh, that's cute. Exactly. It was like, like oh. standing ovation. It was a 10 year old. Um, I've had to follow a child twice. It was a, the first time was a 10 year old little boy doing stand up for the first time. And of course, he did cute little knock knock jokes. And every joke that he did was like applause break, standing oh. ovation, which is great. But then I get up there and they're like, we don't care about you. Yes. <laughs> but you know what? Put the 10 year old boy back. 10 year old boy. Let him do that at the school play, you know, the talent show. Don't, don't bring that out. The second time was another, I think it was a little girl, and she did knock knock jokes as well and silly little internet jokes. And everything was, oh, 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 oh. Yay! Did you ever have to follow a joke contest? I they bring in people from the crowd. I had to do that. There was this guy in the Midwest who used to book, it was in Michigan, and he used to book these rooms, and then it was like a big thing to get the crowd into it. Before the show, they would have, they called it a joke off. (laughs) So people would come up, and inevitably, there's always some, you know, these two Jews walking, holy Jesus, here we go. (laughs) And it's always like a racist joke, a horrible thing, and just awful. I I didn't have that happen, but I did a gig in Florida. I was actually the first comedian ever to perform in the city of Milton, Florida, and the mayor came. Wow. And this was the kind of city. So I went early and the bartender was from Canoga Park, California. So I said, <laughs> I said, what kind of, you know, jokes are, do you guys do around here? What kind of town is this? And he said, you know, when people joke about sleeping with their cousin, I said, yes. He goes, that actually happens here. Oh. <laughs> so I did my show. And then after the show, um, do you remember ZZ Top? Oh, yeah. So a couple of guys that looked like ZZ Top, but they were wearing tank tops. Hmm. Let me repeat that. This is like the Duck Dynasty guys. Yes. They came up to me and they go, ah, oh, you're really funny. And one goes, I didn't really know what you were talking about, but you were, you were good. Let me buy you a beer. And <laughs> For so, a Chinese gal. <laughs> so they cornered me and they, they, quote unquote, gave me some jokes to use. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They would do this. Here's many one the, for you. Many of the jokes started with the N-word. Yeah. <laughs> Inevitably. Always. They go, I got some jokes for you. They're, they're, you're really funny, but I didn't really know what you were talking about. But I got some really good ones. <laughs> oh, it's always bad. Always bad. It's Here's always one you could bad. use. No. Did I you, know did you not see what I just did for 45 minutes? Why made you think I would tell a racist joke? The, oh, God. So it was, it was interesting, to say the least. But they asked for my autograph on a napkin, and I'm, I'm sure. Milton, Florida. Milton, Florida. It's a very small town outside of Pensacola. Okay. And, no, um, I, my family moved down. You know, now I'm gonna. The, I'll be there for Thanksgiving. They live in a town called Sebring, which is <laughs> down like an hour south of Orlando. I was in Panhandle, Florida. Yeah. Oh no, the Redneck Riviera. <laughs> I played it. Believe me, I did the Air Force Base down there. The, was it Pensacola? It's in um, Tyndall Air it, Force yeah, Base. Yeah, I think it's in Pensacola. Yeah, it's. Ooh, it, it's <laughs> Florida is just weird, man. It's the Florida's southern. Weird. Because there's like all these like it's the rich... south. The northern half is the south. No, there's all these rich Jews from New York. No, but they're down in like and then there's Broward. like and then there's like rednecks and then there's like it's so random. No, no, it's <laughs> like because my grandparents, my old Jewish grandparents from Jersey, retired with all of them down in like I wasn't stereotyping. I was being serious. No, it's true. <laughs> down in uh, down in Fort Lauderdale area, you know all them. So it's weird from like palm beach all the on the east coast down to miami and all that in between fort lauderdale it's like rich it's like this weird jews right it's jews it's like cubans haitians (laughs) jamaicans all in a weird you know just mishmash and then you go up north and it's the south i mean it's redneck redneck and then the central like where my family it's, it's like really there's all these bible colleges it's really churchy and then there's like the East Coast where See, it's like old Mike, people dying and people don't need to go to New Zealand. They can just go to Florida oh, and they'll, they'll and they get have every it. single. <laughs> they can have it. <laughs> well, we have to wrap up. I'm so sad. Apologies that, to people in Florida. That I don't get to keep you for another hour. Um, what What's next for you? How can people find you? How can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, listen to your f- podcast. Uh, they follow my personal page is uh, funnymike.com and at funnymike on Twitter. And then uh, the TravelTalesPodcast.com and uh, TravelTalesPod on Twitter. 
Well, it was wonderful having you. Thank you for being a guest on our no, podcast. No, it was fun. Thank you. I didn't even sneeze once with the dogs. <laughs> it's pretty good. Good old Claritin. Claritin D, folks. Ask for it by name. But you need an ID. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and don't make meth out of it, please. Guys, this has been Out of the Box Podcast with Rosie Tran. Don't forget to visit our sponsor, HugMeTees.com. Spread love. Give a hug. HugMeTees.com. As always, we are on SoundCloud.com and Stitcher Radio and iTunes. And guys... Don't forget, we're now accepting Bitcoin and other alternative currency donations. If you would like to support the podcast, which some of you have told me that you would like, I am accepting all alternative currencies, including Hypercoin. So click on the link and support us with Bitcoin. Or if you want to send cash, send me an email and I'll give you my PayPal. This has been Out of the Box Podcast with Rosie Tran. 